Unfathomable sea, whose waves are years, ocean of time, whose waters of deep woe are brackish with the salt of human tears. Thou shoreless flood, which in thy ebb and flow claspest the limits of mortality, and sick of prey, yet howling on for more, vomitest thy wrecks on its inhospitable shore, treacherous and calm and terrible in storm, who shall put forth on thee unfathomable sea? Percy Bysshe Shelley, Time Carl Jung, Individual Dream Symbolism in Relation to Alchemy Quote, By the seashore, the sea breaks into the land, flooding everything. Then the dreamer is sitting on a lonely island. You're like the dreamer. Dreams, and then lives inside the dream. The sea is the symbol of the collective unconscious, because unfathomed depths lie concealed beneath its reflecting surface. Those who stand behind, the shadowy personifications of the unconscious, have burst into the terra firma of consciousness like a flood. Such invasions have something uncanny about them because they are irrational and incomprehensible to the person concerned. They bring about a momentous alteration of his personality since they immediately constitute a painful personal secret which alienates and isolates him from his surroundings. It is something that we cannot tell anybody. We are afraid of being accused of mental abnormality, not without reason. For much the same thing happens to lunatics. Even so, it is a far cry from the intuitive perception of such an invasion to being inundated by it pathologically, though the layman does not realize this. Isolation by a secret results as a rule in an animation of the psychic atmosphere, as a substitute for loss of contact with other people. It causes an activation of the unconscious, and this produces something similar to the illusions and hallucinations that beset lonely wanderers in the desert, seafarers, and saints. End quote. Lena has gone into the tunnel beneath the lighthouse. She hesitates at the threshold of a larger chamber. Camera dollies backward, away from Lena. Second seven, cut to Ventress. Not facing the entrance. Light lands on her shoulder and her hair and just barely the tip of her nose. There is something off about her face, darker than it should be, even in the shadows. She speaks. Dr. Ventress, it's the last phase. Vanished into havoc. Cry havoc! Cry havoc! And let's slip the dogs of war! Kristen Grady, The Infinite Eleven, 1st December 2020, suggests, quote, These first two sentences could apply to the alien force taking over the planet, or the cancer taking over her body. Maybe both, like a bloodthirsty Roman infantry charging with the intent to obliterate. End quote. Ventress looks up, or rather she raises her head for she no longer has eyes to look. Her face above the nose is black, smooth. Priscilla Page, Birth, Movies, Death, 12th March 2018, describes, quote, What remains of Ventress? We see her face in a shadowy close-up, featureless. Ventress hasn't met her alien double. She's become it, given herself over to the alien completely, end quote. Or at least, she is about to do so, as Lena joins her in this chamber. This is, as Ventress says, the last phase. She is still transforming. She continues to speak, tilting her head back further so it becomes obvious that her eyes are gone, her skin is black. This is, and is not, Ventress. Dr. Ventress, 
unfathomable mind. She lowers her head. Behind her, we can see Lena finally walking down into the chamber. Dr. Ventress continued. Now, beacon. Now, see. As Kristen Grady points out, this is, quote, from a Samuel Beckett novel, Malloy, about two characters who turn out to be the same character. Beacon is another word for lighthouse, which keeps ships from crashing into the shore. Ventress sees no end to this unfathomable mind, full of unanswered questions, vacillating between nothingness and a light of being. Carl Jung said the sea is a favorite place for the birth of visions. Metaphorically, it's also Nietzsche's void. Where Ventress sees nothingness, Lena eventually sees potential. Cain, Ventress, and Lena all went into the lighthouse looking for the source of the shimmer and found themselves reflected there. End quote. The line from Beckett. Quote, I did as when I could not sleep. I wandered in my mind slowly, noting every detail of the labyrinth, its paths as familiar as those of my garden, and yet ever new, as empty as the heart could wish, or alive with strange encounters. And I heard the distant symbols. There is still time, still time. But there was not, for I ceased. All vanished, and I tried once more to turn my thoughts to the Malloy affair. Unfathomable mind, now beacon, now see. End quote. Regarding part two of the novel, narrated by Private Detective Moran, tasked with tracking down the titular Malloy, novelist Brian Evanson tells Electric Literature, 17th June, 2014, quote, It's a discontinuous juxtaposition, one that seems like it's structured so that the second part will resolve the first part. There are all sorts of gestures made toward that and things said in the Moran section. But as it progresses, you begin to realize it's not going to actually sew up or resolve anything, at least not completely. Instead, it's almost as if Moran is going through a kind of becoming Malloy, though that too is discontinuous and not completely parallel. Very little is accomplished by Moran, apart from a death he's not sure he understands. He returns to where he started from, but that place has fallen apart in his absence, just as he too has fallen apart in being absent. And of course the way it ends calls into question everything about the narrative itself, and about narrative in general. End quote. And asked about Beckett's obsession with decay, Evanson says, quote, I think it's more than apparent. It has something to do with Beckett's philosophical notion that we move from the cradle to the grave, that that's the only direction that anything moves, at least anything organic. As he suggests in Waiting for Godot, we give birth, a stride of a grave, the light gleams an instant, then it's night once more. We are left each day with a little less, though moments in his work ironize this or call it into question. Beckett's about the night but he's also about the brief gleam. End quote. Ventress lightly sways, hearing music that is not there in the unfathomable mind of herself, the shimmer, the world. Ventress has not merely given herself over to the shimmer, but to her own cancer, to her own mortality, her own self-destruction. And it feels like music, comforting in the moment. Thank you.
Second 30 reverse, wide. Ventress in the left third, Lena in the right. Ventress doubles forward. Lena takes a step. Lena, Dr. Ventress. The script says Dr. Ventress turns to Lena. She has the same expression as Cain when he appeared back home. Alzheimer's-like. In her eyes, there is confusion, but through the confusion, a vibrating sense of fear. Lena continued, Dr. Ventress, what's happened to you? Dr. Ventress hesitates, as if half-remembering. Dr. Ventress, I had to know what it was, what was waiting. I had to know. In the film, Ventress turns abruptly. Her face is her face again. Dr. Ventress, Lena. Second 40, Angle and Lena, framed between the bright tunnel and a similar alcove that is closed off, black. Second 43, Angle and Ventress. Rather gracefully, she puts her hands down first and then rotates her lower body around to sit facing Lena, facing camera, facing us. Right leg in, left leg out. Dr. Ventress continued. We spoke. What was it we said? Second 53, Lena, closer than before. No response. Second 55, Ventress, closer than before. Looking up, trying to find something in the darkness above her. Dr. Ventress continued that I needed two. And time runs out for this minute. We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside. Annihilation.